it's not what happens to you. It's what you do about it. Take my dog, for example. This is Tank the Terrorist. And he's pure evil, as you can clearly see. Notice where he's standing. This is but one spot on my lawn that he is consistently doing his darndest to destroy. He poops in one place. The only reason he poops there is because when he was a puppy, I would stand guard in that one place and would not let him leave until he did his business. I did that for, I don't even know, weeks. It felt like years until he was just like, I better go there because otherwise my master's going to beat me. So that's where he poops. But we didn't do the same thing with number one. So he just kind of avails himself of the entirety of the backyard. And as you can see, is it up there? You didn't laugh as much when you saw that. I mean, tell me that's not an awesome picture. Tank the terrorist. So you can see our beautiful lawn, but then you can see that the terrorist keeps peeing on it. Now, here's where it gets funny. We don't leave it like that. We keep trying to fix it. So every few weeks, my wife and I will go out and buy some triple mix. We'll buy some of that lime stuff. We'll rake away the burnt grass, and we'll lay in all these other ingredients, and we'll put some grass seed on it, and we'll pray to Jesus, say, Lord, please bring our grass back from the dead. And it kind of works. And then the terrorist just goes back and keeps doing what he does. Now, I think it was Einstein who said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. So it may be that my wife and I have taken leave of our faculties. Mind you, not if we have hope. Not if we have hope. Doing the same thing over and over again is not futility if you have hope. And that's what Isaiah is all about. Isaiah is all about persisting in hope. And it starts, for our purposes, with Isaiah chapter 42. Hear it in its entirety. Man, I'm going to have to preach fast. Behold my servants whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. Isn't this glorious to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness? I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory. I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and all their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the habitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up His zeal. Ooh, he cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows Himself mighty against His foes. For a long time, I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp 
and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know and paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them. Receive it into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord. He sees many things but he does not observe them. His ears are open but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious but this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say restore. Who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned and whose ways they would not walk and whose law they would not obey? So he poured out on them the heat of his anger And the might of battle, it set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. Woo! Help me, Jesus. You're like, how is he going to stay calm preaching something like that? I'm not sure. I broke Isaiah 42 into eight sections. Here's the first section. We have a good Jesus. Okay, consider that we have a good Jesus as we look at verses 1 through 4. Listen to the imperatives here. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit on him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law." Those imperatives are really important. We see here right off the top that Jesus is God's supreme act of love and self-revelation. That's who our good Jesus is. And it's very important for us to note that God himself chose to reveal himself through God the Son. God himself chose to do this this way. The point here for us is simple. Sooner or later, we need to bow our knee to His will. Okay, We may not have chosen to reveal ourselves the way God the Father chose to reveal Himself in Christ, but we're not God. We don't have His job. And so the sooner we bow the knee to His will, the sooner we will be living with hope at the center of our life. As you consider this good Jesus, you ought to be asking yourself, what is He like? Well, you saw it there in the text. He serves his father. He's upheld by him. This good Jesus is chosen by his father. The father delights in this good Jesus. This good Jesus is full of the spirit of his father. He is the bringer of justice. It's important to note that he's not a drama king. Neither is he a self-promoter. It's also wonderfully comforting to see here right off the top that he is not ruthless But instead, he is totally faithful in everything he does. He is ultimately resilient. He is never discouraged. He is determined to win to the point that one day even his enemies will be sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for his law. He's also empathic. We notice this in verses 3. 
and four. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. A faintly burning wick he will not dim. In the Hebrew, the word here is yekahe. Yekahe. He will not lekahe, a faintly burning wick. It's interesting. In modern Hebrew, the word makah is a blow. To strike. So it's almost like, you know, when you put out a wick and you squeeze it between finger and thumb. You deliver a blow to it. You say, you're not burning bright enough. Get out of here. The son of David is not like that. He will not dim a faintly burning wick. And it's beautiful to see that the same word, yekahe, is used when speaking about the fact that he will not allow himself to become discouraged. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. Literally, it's the same word. When he's saying he's not going to lekahe, a faintly burning wick, the same word he applies to himself when he says, I will not. He will not become discouraged. So the teachable point for you is this. If you are someone who today is barely hanging on, it's my privilege to tell you that in the same way that Jesus won't allow himself to get snuffed out, he will not let it happen to you either. That's a good Jesus. That's a Jesus worth following. It's important for us to note as Christians that following Jesus is the only way to God the Father. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus is our way to the Father, we ought to be asking ourselves, so what is the Father like? Section 2, our Father is in charge. Look at verse 5. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. God the Father is he of the unpronounceable name. In the Hebrew, here it says he is Ha'el Yahweh. Now as Gentile Christians... We are somewhat cavalier with pronouncing the unpronounceable name of God. You'll see it there rendered in the English on screen. yud Hey vav Hey, Yahweh. No Jew will say that name. It is the holy name of God. It is so holy, so powerful, so awesome that it is deemed to be the unpronounceable name of God. But God names himself in Isaiah's prophecy. He says, I am that God. I am the God, Yahweh. I am he of the unpronounceable name. I'm the maker of heaven and earth. I am the stretcher, the spreader of all that is. I am the one who puts breath and spirit in every living things. Friends, the Father is the source. Jesus leads you to the source. If you want a life of hope, you need to get connected to the source through Jesus Christ, your Savior, God's only begotten Son. Why? Section 3. Because this is what God is like, and this is what that means. Look at verses 6 through 9. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. 
I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell them to you. You need to hear that through God's people. So Isaiah here is speaking to his original audience. So you need to hear the words of verses 6 through 9 through Isaiah's speaking to God's people, his original audience. You need to hear those words as God speaking through his prophet to his son. You need to hear those words as speaking through the Spirit of God, which God the Son gave to us after he ascended to the Father's right hand. Follow me there? So you hear those words, first, from Isaiah to his original audience. Second, from God through Isaiah to his son, who would be the promised heir of the line of David. And because the promised heir of the line of David, our Savior Jesus, left us the Holy Spirit as our comforter to lead us into all truth, you can hear these words for you, even though you are not an Israelite living in Jerusalem in the 500s B.C. Who is the Father? He's the unspeakable name. Again, he declares his name. He did the right thing and called you to himself. He strongly leads you and keeps you. And he makes deals that he keeps. And it's very important for us as Christians to know that because of Jesus, we are part of that deal that he made with his people and that deal that he is keeping As we walk out the salvation that the Son of David, God the Son made flesh, Jesus Christ our Savior, accomplished for us. Because in Jesus we are part of that deal, when Isaiah speaks of the once and future son and heir of the line of King David, because you are in Christ, he is speaking of you. And so when you see that the prophet is saying that this coming son will be a light for the nations, he'll be a light for those afar off, you need to hear it like you as you abide in Christ will be a light for those who are afar off. You as you abide in Christ will be the openers of blind eyes for those who cannot see. You as you abide in Christ will be liberators of prisoners and captives. This is the purpose of your life. To be in Christ, all that Christ has called you to be. To be nothing less than his redemptive influence in a world desperately in need of redemption. And all of this is predicated on his hisness. Yes, that's a new phrase that I've coined. Verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Okay, he's the his And he's doing something new in the world. Look at verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I declare them to you. He's telling you about these new things that he's doing before he tells them to anyone else. And it's astonishing that that truth is still true 2,500 years after these words were originally written. Which leads me to section 4. I suggest in light of this that you praise him. This is 
my second favorite part. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it. The coastlands and all their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out. Oof, my favorite part. Like a mighty man, like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. For he shows himself mighty amongst his foes. So let's talk about the whole praise part. When the prophet here is referring to the inhabitants of the coastlands, he's referring to the Philistines. He's referring to Gentiles. In fact, filthy Gentiles who have no part in the people of God. So he's saying to people far from God, praise him. So even if you feel far from God like a Philistine who lives on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, the call of God to you is no different than it is to his people who live in the heart of the city of Jerusalem. Praise him. Okay, the point is this. There is no excuse for you to not praise the Lord. If the Lord expects praise even from the Philistines, he expects praise from you. Even if it's not part of your birthright or heritage. What part have we in the God of Judah? The Philistines say, in fact, they are recorded as saying that in the whole sequence with Dagon, their false god. Even if it's not your heritage or your history, you must praise him. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise him from the ends of the earth. This is beautiful. Let the desert lift up its voice. What is the desert in Judaism? It's a place of death. It's a place of dryness. It's not a place of praise. And God's glory is so beautiful, powerful, and imperative that the prophet says, even the desert will praise the Lord. Even the desert will lift up its voice. I can say, "Woo!" even if your heart is dry, friends, praise the Lord. Sing for joy. Shout it on the mountaintops. What do you do when you get to the top of a mountain? You're sucking air, right? Because you're like, I've been climbing. I'm I'm out of breath. I can't do it anymore. And that's what life is like, right? You're like, I'm tired. This is a climb. But when you get to the peak before you start to look out upon the land that God has brought you to you must praise the Lord declare his glory give him praise that is of course if you want to have hope it's also a good idea because section number five this is definitely my favorite part the time of his patience is ending and he's about to awaken his zeal look quickly at verses 14 through 16 for a long time I've held my peace. I've kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills. I will dry up all their vegetation. I will turn their rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. Why should you do whatever it takes to live in hope? Okay, this is the new me. I'm going to stay calm. Woosah. Okay, why should you do whatever it takes? And I'm not allowed to flex now either because Tish said it's weird. So I'm like, dang it. So I'm trying to think of like other things I can do to expel energy. Why should you do whatever it takes to live in hope? Because God is going out like a manly man. Okay, I know we live in a post-feminist age and it's not cool to even think, let alone say, manly man. But I'm sorry, that's what it says in the text. Manly man. Gever chayl. A dude with muscles and a sword. 
Okay, God goes out like a manly man, like a warrior. Okay, even in modern Hebrew to this day, if you do a good job, they say, Gevechayel. They say, you're like God, the manly man warrior. And if you're a woman, they say to you, Eshetchayel, a wife who is a mighty warrior. Okay, God is a manly man warrior, Woo! and he's going to wake up his zeal. I ain't got to preach on that, do I? Okay? He's going to wake up his zeal. He's no longer going to restrain himself. Woo! But in the Hebrew, he's going to start screaming in the Hebrew like a woman in labor. Have you ever tried to tell a woman in labor to please calm down and show a little decorum? <laughs> Just try it. Now, I know we laugh about it, but it ought to make you uncomfortable in your comfortable North Americanness to know that the God you serve has had enough. And he's going to awaken his zeal, and he's going to scream like a woman in labor. I love that he compares himself to a woman in labor, right? Men and women made in the image of God. And that glorious moment of womanhood that is the act of giving birth is something that God says is an echo of who he truly is. All you women, you're impressive and amazing. You're like God, the mighty warrior. Right? That's, anyway, that's, I could camp on that, but I got no time. That is beautiful. Why is he doing this? Because he's bringing forth a whole new thing. In the Hebrew, he's making the blind walk from darkness to light. He's not just leading them. He's making them walk from darkness to light. He's saying, no, it's dark over there. Come over here. This is where the light is. This is how Christians ought to carry themselves, preach themselves, live themselves. No, it's dark over there. Come over here where the light is. He is showing them the way to make rough places, plain the crooked straight. And the rough places, plain, right? Oh, I love Ham's Messiah. Ooh, he's making the rough places plain. These are the things, verse 16, that I do hear it, and I will not forsake them. This is my life verse. The God of the Bible is not relaxed. He's not chilling out. See it in the text. This is what I do, and I do not forsake this. Neither the things that I do, nor the way in which I do them. I never change, saith the Lord. The God of the Bible is not on vacation. You either roll with him or you get rolled. Which leads us to section 6. You see, idolatry is a dead-end street. Look at verses 17 through 20. They're turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear you deaf, look you blind. Who's blind but my servant, or deaf is my messenger whom I send? Who's blind is my dedicated one, or blind is the servant of the Lord? They see many things, but don't observe them. Their ears are open, but they don't see. Did you hear that? You have open eyes, but you don't see. You have open ears, but you don't hear. If we are idolatrous, we will be utterly put to shame and turned back. If you're experiencing futility, shame, despair, or helplessness in your life, or if you find yourself in a season where you're experiencing those things, you need to know that those are most of the time the consequences of worshiping the wrong thing. So you can do something very simple this week. You can do a self-inventory and you can say, where have I allowed idolatry to take root in my life? 
And I know that if you do that self-inventory in an honest way, because I have experienced it myself and am experiencing it myself on a daily basis, you will find that you are struggling with idolatry. This is why Isaiah turns the phrase here. He flip-flops between speaking of his messianic servant and now he's speaking of his servant, the people of Israel, the people of Judah. And he's saying they are struggling with idolatry. And the point to us is this. It's not just God's enemies who struggle with idolatry. Okay, which means we should not be quick to point out the idolatry in other people's lives. Didn't Jesus say something about a speck and a log? Yes, he did. Who's blind but my servant? He's saying, my servant Judah, they're blind. God's chosen people, they're blind, they're deaf. Blindness and deafness can take up residence in your life because of idolatry. So examine your life this week and see if there's any blind spots there. See if there's any deafness that has crept into your habitual way of life. I mean, that is if you want to have hope. The alternative, of course, is fairly bleak, which is why we come to section 7. Why is our world so messed up? Why is our world so messed up? Look at verse 22. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They become plunder with no one to rescue, spoil with no one to say restored, plundered, looted, trapped. Okay, this was fulfilled in 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar, emperor of Babylon, laid waste to the city of Jerusalem, utterly destroying it and sending its people into exile. This was fulfilled in 70 AD as the emperor Titus, while the future emperor Titus rolled in from Rome and laid waste to Israel, destroying the second temple. This is fulfilled in the meth addict I saw downtown this week being collected by EMS. Do you see them sitting around the city of Guelph? On the sidewalk? Looted. Plundered. Trapped. This is maybe fulfilled in you. If you ever feel like there's none to rescue or restore, I have some good news for you. And its name is Jesus. Jesus Christ is God the Son who became a man to suffer and die in your place for your sin, to bear the penalty for your sin and shame so that you wouldn't have to. He allowed himself to be taken captive by death so that you might walk free. And the most beautiful thing about the story of Jesus is that he did not stay dead, but he arose again the third day, defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. Didn't you love that song we sang today that said, death has no claim on me? Ooh, I could get, ooh, I could, the old me could get excited about that. <clears throat> You see, your Jesus is the good Jesus. Worship team, I'm almost done. Can you believe it? We're going to be on time, Brian. Praise be to Almighty God. Almost. He says, you have two minutes left. Well, if we go 65 minutes, we'll be okay. Your Jesus is the good Jesus. He's totally faithful. He empathizes with you. He's 100% worth following. His father is in charge. His father's the master maker. He's the stretcher spreader. He's the source. He does the right thing. He calls you to himself. He strongly leads and keeps you. He honors his deals. He's the hisness. So let water, oh, somebody say it like you're from a black church in Alabama. Ooh, let water rain down in the deserts of our hearts and let us praise him from the highest heaven because manly man Jesus is on his way and you either roll with him or you get rolled. So stop worshiping the wrong things. Open your eyes and walk in new life. Let's uh, finish with verses 23 through 25. 
Who among you will give ear to this? Who among you will give ear to You're going to listen? Who among you will give ear to this? Who will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned and whose ways they would not walk and whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand it. Burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. What say you? Are you going to listen? There's a whole bunch of people throughout history who have not listened. But what say you? Section 8 is the final section. What are you going to do about it? 